The Gadget Guide on Cambridge 105 Radio with the Centre for Computing History, Cambridge. Making the history of computing fun for everyone. Visit computinghistory.org.uk to find out more. Welcome to The Gadget Guide. Yeah, welcome to Gadget Guide show number 257 with the latest tech news and then we'll see what options there are in terms of non-Apple iPad tablets starting with Samsung's latest Galaxy Tab S9. Tablets that aren't iPads, yep, there are plenty of other alternatives available to the uh, uh, the one that's almost given its name to the, uh, to, to the genre. Uh, but first of all, it's time to take a look at this week's technology news and it's happy 25th birthday to Google. Um, amazingly enough, uh, Google is 25 years old this year. Uh, yes, the internet did exist before Google, and yes, there were search engines. Um, so, where did it all start? Well, it, it kind of started with the uh, with the basic Google search, didn't it? Yep, they were um, pioneering in the way that they did search and improved it upon uh, all the other search engines that existed at the time, very quickly surpassing and overtaking stuff uh, that had existed at that time to become effectively the, the de facto standard. The fact that everyone says, well, have you Googled it, uh, says enough because no one says, have you binged it at the moment, even though that is, of course, an option. And, of course, uh, it, it wasn't... Yeah, we, we have to sort of think back to the world before Google. Search engines did exist, but you tended to use a different one depending on which one you were uh, searching for. So there were the likes of Ask Jeeves and um, InfoSeek and uh, a few others. Um, AltaVista. AltaVista, of course, yeah. But Yahoo. You, you, you generally had to sort of give a little bit more of a structured query, whereas Google was just... One box, you type something in, whatever it was, whatever subject it was, and you uh, you ended up there. And of course, it was entirely in the early days, entirely automated. They were searching the web, looking for which sites linked to other sites, and trying to build up some idea of which ones were the important ones, which ones were the relevant ones. Um, compared to a lot of the earlier search engines, which you had to submit your website. If you built a website, you had to actually submit it to the search engines to say, hey, I'm here. You remember doing that. To, uh, yeah. Exactly. You might want to uh, to, to index me. Um, uh, and it really did revolutionize the, uh, the, the web. Yes. Uh, moving on from that, when they got devices out and about, uh, the Google Assistant, of course, came along. That uh, was born in about 2016, obviously on Android phones to start with and then into other Google products like uh, smart displays and so on. And, uh, yeah, it's probably as pos as popular as Amazon's LXA. I, th I think so, probably just because of the embedded nature. Um, yeah. You know, I, I think there are uh, probably way fewer Google Home devices, and that's the thing. They've not just made software. They have, uh, uh, have branched out into hardware, some of which is still around. We'll come on to some dead ones in a second. Um, but, but you mentioned the mobile devices, and Android was uh, a huge deal, wasn't it? If you uh, look back to 2003, so, yep, that's uh, <laughs> 20 years old now. Um, not originally Google. Uh, no, quite no. A couple of years later, um, but the the real start of smartphone mass market smartphones um, that weren't iPhones, um, and, and again that's that's something that has lasted twenty years. That the operating system's gone through plenty of changes over that time, plenty of improvements, plenty of um, design overhauls of greater or lesser degrees, um, but nonetheless it has it has become effectively one of the two major smartphone platforms that uh, a lot of manufacturers have, have built on top of. Yeah, we, we don't have many other 
uh, ones to choose from. In fact, we don't have anything else to choose from between Android and its various derivatives and Apple. Um, other things, uh, Chrome. Now, Chrome the browser and also Chrome the operating system and Chrome Books. The yes, and th this was a, a, an interesting one because, uh, again, can we have what's it, 15 years, 2008, uh, the, the Chrome web browser uh, launched. There were a few alternatives in that market at the time. Uh, Internet Explorer, uh, the predecessor to Microsoft Edge, um, and Firefox and Opera were probably the major Windows-based browsers at, at the time. Um, Google came along and said, no, this is all too slow. We need to make things fast, um, make it simple, make it high performance uh, and easy to use. And they bought out Chrome and it gained a lot of traction very quickly, particularly in the sort of technology sectors where it displaced Internet Explorer that at that time was really the, the largest browser because it came included with Windows. Chrome was probably the, the first one of that era that managed to get people to actively go and download another browser. Um, and that took off and now forms the basis of a large proportion of the browser market. It's not just the Chrome browser. The modern Microsoft Edge uh, also uses Chromium. That's the technology uh, at the heart of Chrome. And a lot of mobile browsers do as well. Yeah, something a lot of us could probably not do without, Google Maps, which launched in 2005. Uh, well, at Google Earth, of course, uh, was a sh very quick thing that appeared after that, uh, where we could explore the world from our, our PCs and zoom in and out on, on bits of landscape. And then 2007 got us Street View, where you could go and actually see street-level photo, uh, photos or um, images of areas of cities that you were possibly visiting or even your home city and explore things um, down a route that you might want to actually navigate, be it on foot or bicycle or car. And, uh, yeah, maps, of course, are still very much out there on mobile devices and even in some car manufacturers' uh, dashboards these days. Yeah, uh, of course, Google have always been a very big proponent of the web as a, a user interface to your computer. And Google Docs uh, and the larger Google Drive suite was really their first foray into that before any of the other players. Of course, Microsoft Office was, uh, was very much the standard, arguably still is, uh, of kind of business productivity. So that's your, your word processor, text editor, spreadsheet, that sort of thing. Um, and that was always a, a desktop application, a program that ran on your computer. Uh, Google said, hang on, no, we've got, we've got the World Wide Web, we've got web browsers. They can run an application like Word or like Excel. Um, and they built Google Drive, Google Docs, um, from the ground up in, in the web browser. And I, I think a lot of people at the time said, hang on, no, the web browser is great for, for, for browsing the web, but you know, serious business applications need, need to run on, uh, on actual, uh, actual computers that are under your desk. Um, uh, and again, it did, uh, did change the market there. Of course, they led the way, but others followed, and now the likes of Microsoft Office and, uh, and various other productivity tools very typically now based on on web technology even if it's not obvious that it's running in a web browser it probably is in some form or another absolutely absolutely um so yes uh, the entire google suite of products which has got into a lot of corporations 
Gmail, of course, being the other big one, um, you know, has provided free email to a lot of people around the world for many years. Uh, Google Lens, an interesting one, uh, an application you can run on your smartphone that you basically use your camera to point at things and it will identify plants. It will translate text in real time, so you can point it at a, a menu in a restaurant in a foreign country that possibly doesn't even use the same alphabet as us. And it will show you real-time text translation of the menu, for example, which can be quite cool. Google Lens really AI before AI was recently cool. Um, you know, it's, it's using a lot of the technology that uh, underpin a lot of the, the newer AI services, um, but it's been around for for some years. Of course, not everything that uh, Google launched um, is still with us, and uh, they're, they're rather famous, or perhaps infamous, for uh, for killing off services when either they've served their purpose, run, the, run their course, um, or perhaps more commonly been incorporated into other uh, Google services. That This to the extent that there's a, a lovely website, killedbygoogle.com, um, which lists all of the, how many are we at? 288 <laughs> <laughs> Google, uh, Google services and, uh, and devices that have been killed off uh, by the giant um, over the last 20 or so years. Um, uh, some of them you probably won't even uh, remember, others really were were very popular and caused some amount of outcry when the, when they were killed off uh, google stadia uh, the the cloud gaming platform we've we've talked about um but uh, what what else have we got in there i remember uh, google uh oh gosh and uh, google plus of course was their google, attempt google at, hangouts. Uh, at a facebook yeah google hangouts which is now folded into chat I think is the the latest uh, incarnation of that. Uh, free G Suite. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Got, got, gone pretty much paid for most uh, small businesses that might have had it free originally. Um, a lot of collaborative experiments that they tried. So um, YouTube Stream was an idea that you could uh, uh, effectively watch YouTube movies alongside someone else who wasn't... Uh, uh, looking at the same computer with you, of course, that did get folded in to an extent on uh, uh, into the main product. Hangouts on air as well. Um, that was effectively a sort of you do a video call and stream it to YouTube at the same time, um, almost a kind of webinar type platform. Again, some of these got folded into their main uh, main things. Uh, what else do we uh, do? Do we have? Um, there's some uh, there's some big ones that I've uh, Picasso the photo uh, photo editor yeah, and, and yeah. viewer very very popular at the time, um, almost 13 years old at the time that was uh, that was killed. Wow! <laughs> so it, it it managed to survive a reasonable amount of time, but yes, did get eventually uh, killed off. Uh, Google tried getting into the fiber market, and Google Fiber TV was uh, killed off about three years ago. It managed to last seven years. Not sure the where they are with their ISP offerings in the US, but certainly hasn't got outside of the US. Uh, so yeah, I, its days are possibly numbered as well. Uh, a couple other things. Uh, Google Daydream, which if you had a, uh, a, a tablet or a, uh, we'll talk about tablets a bit later, uh, or a, a smart device with a screen or your phone, it could uh, display um, sort of a virtual reality photo type thing on, on your devices. Mm. Uh, and that didn't last that long. Uh, a lot of the works with Nest stuff got rolled into uh, and changed around as 
Google uh, incorporated the Nest products because Nest wasn't originally Google. It was bought by Google and then merged in. So a lot of changes happened around that over the years as well as they have pulled it into the, the core of the, the company. Uh, so, yes, yeah, certainly has been an interesting thing. Of course, Google Plus, as you mentioned, that was uh, a bit of a failed attempt at a social network. I don't think it ever got it to the point it, that you could not really no. follow people and interact with them like that. Yeah. yeah. So there uh, we go. One cool bit of hardware yeah. which is still working if you had one was the Chromecast Audio, which let you stream just audio, not pictures and stuff. Ah, yes. Yeah, so that, uh, sort of folded into your uh, into your hi-fi system, didn't it? So. Yes, or just a portable speaker. You could make a portable speaker, a smart speaker, without um, uh, it being a smart speaker. Well, in celebration of their 25th birthday, uh, there are apparently going to be some uh, special offers and discounts. Uh, those are due to be revealed on the 12th of September. So uh, if you are looking out for something, maybe a bit of Google hardware, um, then do check out uh, the Google Store uh, kind of early next week and see whether uh, there's anything that tickles your you, fancy there. You can sign up for announcements now to be uh, alerted to things as they come out next week. Um, and then in a, about a, almost exactly a month's time, 4th of October, they're likely to announce the Pixel 8 series of smartphones. So we'll be keeping an eye on that one in about a month's time. Interesting. Um, heading over from uh, Google to another one of the uh, web behemoths and Meta, those uh, those makers of Facebook and Instagram and Threads and uh, all the rest of it, WhatsApp, of course, um, are contemplating allowing a paid plan for Instagram and Facebook users in Europe. Uh, no word whether that includes the UK at this stage um, for for European users to pay those services in return for not getting adverts. Um, this is really being driven by a lot of EU data privacy concerns, um, a, a lot of the, the more controversial acts uh, of Meta's data sharing tend to be related to their, their advertiser base in, in order to target adverts. Um, they either share data with their advertisers or uh, allow advertisers to to specify user behavior. So um, contemplating a, a paid version, I think this would be really interesting. I, I've been a fan of this happening for a very long time, and I'm surprised it's not more common with these large services. The flip side is, are your most valuable users going to be the ones that pay for it and therefore the <laughs> advertisers all say well the ones we really wanted aren't going to see our adverts so the rest of it's not worth us spending money so in other words if if your top one percent of users pay you does that actually cut off 90 percent of your advertising revenue it's going to be an interesting one absolutely no thoughts about what the costs are going to be although i'm guessing they'll be watching x to see what the formerly known as twitter platforms costs are like and seeing if they can come up with something as comparable of oh, course I, I did i did hear that x the company formerly known as twitter are very keen that you stop referring to x the company formerly known as twitter as x the former company formerly known as twitter i don't think we'll stop just yet probably not no no i mean how long did it take uh, for people to stop referring to uh, Prince as Prince when he changed from Prince to a thing and then back again. Anyway. Well, well, given that it's still on Twitter.com, I think uh, <laughs> I think we're probably allowed a little uh, time yet. Yes, anyway, of course, uh, Meta includes the new Threads uh, social media um, Twitter clone, um, which uh, hangs off the back of Instagram. So I it's going to be interesting what'll be how... 
really interesting in this, uh, and I think could be sort of make or break for uh, for at least some people, is whether as well as adverts, it also removes the sort of algorithmic timelines. Yeah. Um, so if by o- paying, only I show not... me stuff I I have actually followed, nothing else. Exactly. Show me all of the th- the people that I'm following in their entirety in chronological order. If if I select that. Um, and no prom- no promoted, no suggested, no recommended. And I, I really wonder whether that would be attractive or, or not to, to people, because adverts are one part of it, but the recommended side of things, even if the people whose posts are being shown aren't paying for it, yeah. is something different. I, I think that'll be because very interesting Because you don't even see. get that if you pay for a Blue X, do you? No, no, I, I don't think so. Yeah. Um, moving over to the world of Microsoft and updates from that world. We've got several from them at the moment. The first one is that uh, WordPad, which uh, you might have come <laughs> across in, in Windows, has been languishing in Windows since Windows 95 as a free text editor. Yes, it can open Microsoft Word docx files, but can't save them. Um, it was quite a limited text editor. There was no spell checker, no word counts, couldn't do tables. Basically, it was notepad with a few extra features. Um, Microsoft are pulling the plug on it. It is going to be removed from Windows uh, pretty soon. And this is not surprising. I, I suspect that very few people would use it. Um, I suspect most people, if they don't have a uh, an alternate Microsoft product, are probably using something like Google Docs Google that Docs. we just mentioned, uh, or Dropbox is offering, or, or LibreOffice, or any of uh, well, any even, many even, alternatives. Even Word is free if you use the online edition. All you've got to do is yep. sign up for an account, and that is also free. So, free Word yep. online. Yeah, uh, so more, I suspect it was a, a very a very small user base, or a very small intentional user base, at least. Yes, more things being dropped by Microsoft. Uh, well, uh, Windows uh, Windows TLS support for TLS 1 and 1.1. Those are security encryption methods that are used by, well, were used by many applications to uh, protect the data flow between machines. And I think this is, this is just the final nail in the coffin. It's been going for a long, long time. Uh, the PCI DSS, which is the... Um, the data security standards for anything that uh, involves your credit card data. They've mandated TLS 1.2 or later. That's the the, the more recent versions uh, for several years now. So pretty much any website that has any commercial offering uh, has already been on TLS 1.2 for a few years. Um, I think the thing that's most likely to hit people with this sort of thing is if you access any uh, sort of home... Uh, Internet of Things type devices that haven't had any updates for for several years, um, you know, maybe devices that are actually in your house. Those are probably the ones that are more likely to trip you up. But you probably know that's the case if that is going to affect you. So hopefully most people aren't even going to notice this happens. In the business world, if you are using older versions of things like SQL Server, anything older than about SQL Server 2014 is probably going to break. So you might want to uh, look at that and uh, see. Uh, Other things coming out of support by Microsoft, Windows 11 21H2. That's a mouthful and a half. A couple of of years old now. Um, Microsoft generally releasing a couple of uh, sort of major new versions of Windows. This is the uh, 21H2 is 2021 half two. Uh, released in the uh, the latter part of 2021, 
typically they'll do one, uh, two of those a year, an H1 and H2 release, and those generally run for about 18 months to two years. Windows updates should offer you the, the latest build. Um, I think, are we on 22H2 still? I'm we, not sure we if are. we got to 23H1. Uh, 23H2 will be the next big one. Uh, it's in beta at the moment. Uh, so yes, 22H2 is certainly where you should be targeting if you're on 21H2, get to 22H2 yep. at least. Head over to that Windows Update button and that should offer that to you. Because 21H2 stops receiving critical security updates on the 10th of October. Uh, as I said, 23H2 due out uh, sometime in autumn is the current time frame. Yep. Uh, and one uh, one final one on Microsoft, and that's uh, an amusing last, uh, latest cause of uh, Office 365. This is Microsoft's uh, cloud-based uh, business productivity offering. Um, their latest causes of out, uh, an outage in Australia. Uh, turns out that was a bit of a thunderstorm that uh, took out one of their data centers. More interestingly, it stopped the cooling systems working, um, which then meant all of the machines went, we're getting a bit warm and shut themselves down. <laughs> yep, that, uh, and, that does happen. Uh, and then not enough night staff to actually walk around turning things back on after the power was sorted out. No doubt a learning for uh, for the next time that happens. Um, looking at uh, Google's Nest cameras, so this is their uh, home security cameras, um, they're going to get a bit more expensive. So if you, uh, if you want the Nest Aware subscription, um, you've got the device already, you then pay for the subscription for uh, a lot of the more advanced features. Um, that's going up by 33%, uh, one-third potentially, so uh, up to about £60 per year. Yeah, from £50 to £60. Um, so the Nest Aware gets you 30 days of event recording, uh, supports the Nest cameras, doorbell speakers and displays. Uh, the more advanced Nest Aware Plus goes up uh, from £100 to £120 a year uh, or £12 a month. If you want that, gets you 60 days of event history, 10 days of 24 by 7 video history. So a little bit more uh, intensive video storage there and then supports all the same devices. So if you're using Nest and their cloud platform for video storage, expect a price increase soon. Been announced in the US, they've announced the UK pricing. Uh, it's rolling in over the next few weeks slash months. Now, something I did uh, notice that was quite interesting, we've talked a bit about the challenges and the opportunities of AI, artificial intelligence, uh, on previous episodes and the fact that there are services that you can give a prompt to and say, give me an image of something or another happening in the style of something or another and maybe modify that a bit. Um, also, in some cases, yeah, you might actually say, uh, show me a picture of, of Lawrence uh, but painted in the style of the Mona Lisa. Um, and how does somebody seeing one of those images know that it's real and you know maybe depicts an event that actually happened versus generated by one of these AIs? Um, several uh, people in the industry now, uh, including DeepMind, part of Google, um, looking to implement watermarks, digital watermarks in those images that their services generate. The idea being that if you're using one of those major players, then someone who you send the images to can then, without being able to see it, uh, you know, using your 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 actual eyes, um, can then tell that yes, this has been um, produced by an AI, and therefore, hopefully, if you get the sort of newspaper front page showing so and so in such a, uh, a situation that might be compromising, 
you can hopefully take that image and say, actually, no, this isn't real. This was AI generated. Um, so several of the big players are looking at this technology. I think that's, whilst not foolproof, um, hopefully going to uh, give a little bit more transparency to what, uh, what, like I say, was a real event versus something that's been uh, digitally created afterwards. Yeah, and it might be useful technology even if it's not used on AI or digitally created um, or synthetic images if uh, it's able to be used by artists and photographers to protect their own material they have actually generated. You know, if you can use an invisible watermark on your creative output that you as a person can copyright, I think that might be an interesting uh, offshoot as well. Yeah, and, and I think that's something that has been tested in the past. I seem to recall that uh, Adobe and some of their products, Photoshop and the like, have had these capabilities. I'm not sure they've ever got huge traction, um, mm. but but maybe something that's going to become more prevalent, uh, and especially if those those watermarks can be used on the input to these AI uh, suites as well so you can say okay I'm taking my photo and I want to embed in the watermark the fact that I don't want to use be, uh, don't want my photo to ever as be used source as material the for it. yes um, or if someone does I can slap them with a copyright claim oh, oh yes yeah sure yeah, yeah. Where, when you generate an image of um, you know the sunset over Cottenham um, then it flags in in that image somehow this is based on a photo that Rob took um, then that would be quite uh, quite a nice way of perhaps allowing some some freedom, but at the same time ensuring that yeah. original content creators get recognised. Interesting times, interesting uh, thoughts and ideas. And lastly, just into the world of gaming and handheld stuff, uh, we'll probably be doing a cover of what has been shown at IFA, the uh, large consumer expo in Berlin every year. It uh, has just finished. Uh, one of the things that was shown off by Lenovo was a handheld gaming uh, device, which is going to give the likes of Steam Deck uh, and possibly Nintendo Switch a little bit of a headache because it's pretty decent specs. And uh, yeah, from a company that's, of course, known these days for things like ThinkPad and so on. Mm, one to watch out for, and uh, yet more details on that in a future episode of The Gadget Guide. Next, though, we're going to be talking about iPads that aren't iPads. Cambridge 105 Radio. Wednesday nights on Cambridge 105 Radio, The Hip Hop Show. DJ Remedy and C bring the best in hip hop music from its origins right up to the present day. There's people that are more into their hip hop that's influenced from more of a 90s feel, maybe a slower tempo, maybe a 90 BPM type thing, sort of some jazzy samples in there as well. And then you've got people that are more into their newer sound, which is, I'd say, more electronic. The Hip Hop Show, Wednesdays at 10 on Cambridge 105 Radio. The annual Bridge the Gap Walk returns to Cambridge on Sunday, September the 10th. This family-friendly, leisurely stroll through the grounds of some of Cambridge's finest colleges is in aid of two Cambridge charities. Arthur Rank Hospice Charity and Romsey Mill. We have a brand new route this year, visiting places that haven't featured in Bridge the Gap before. The Society of Cambridge Tourist Guides will be on hand to talk about the history of the colleges and their grounds. The walk starts and ends on Parker's Peace, where there'll be food, drink and entertainment 
website for everyone. Registration is easy. Just visit arhc.org.uk slash BTG. Or look out for the QR code on Bridge the Gap posters and flyers displayed across Cambridge. The 2023 Bridge the Gap Walk, supported by Cambridge 105 Radio. The Gadget Guide on Cambridge 105 Radio with the Centre for Computing History, Cambridge. Making the history of computing fun for everyone. Visit computinghistory.org.uk to find out more. Where you're listening to The Gadget Guide with Rob and Lawrence. And we're going to talk now about tablets that aren't iPads. The iPad, of course, was the one that really started this genre. The, the idea of something a bit bigger than a phone, although, frankly, that has blurred a little over time, um, but that doesn't have uh, a keyboard or a mouse or a trackpad or anything like that, like a laptop. So it's just a, a single... I guess single lump of screen, effectively, uh, normally and, a touch screen, and effectively larger than a mobile phone, but does a lot of the similar things. So runs mm. the same sort of apps that a mobile phone would run. Uh, has that touch interface that we've all got used to on smartphones. Probably has cameras in it. Possibly a front-facing one, so you can do video calls, and then possibly rear-facing ones where you to actually take photos with the tablet. Um, they will obviously be heavier than a phone because they're going to be larger, probably have more battery capacity in them because they've got the space to sandwich battery into them, so will generally run longer than a phone with the screen on doing things like video um, and, and provide those sort of facilities. So if you want something that's not Apple but or that's at a lower price point, I mean... I sort of started looking at the iPads today just to compare and make sure I wasn't barking up the wrong tree with pricing and said, so what does an iPad cost? And, and it's great. You go to the Apple website and it says from £499 for an iPad, 10th generation. That from means you get the base model with no features. And, and also typically the smallest of those screens. So yes. we, we seem to have kind of informally got this this tablet versus phone cut off at about the seven inch point. You know, you, a lot of smartphones now are the six point something inch screens. Yep. Tablets really seven inches and above. The, the other difference, of course, is that typically tablets don't have the, the kind of the mobile phone radio, the 4G bit built in, although... There are options that do, but for many people um, nowadays, they tend to go for uh, a Wi-Fi only one and then connect that to either their home internet connection or their their, their smartphone. Uh, Share your Wi-Fi off your phone, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you can, as you said, get tablets that have got the LTE radios in them that you can then add an eSIM. Some of them have got a SIM slot for you to put a data SIM in to use for doing data services. Um, so... Um, as I said, Apple iPad starting at about 500-odd pounds. And I thought, well, let's look at Samsung Galaxy Tab S9, the latest from Samsung, their latest offerings, and um, see where those come in because I recommended one of these to a colleague recently and they went for the Galaxy Tab S9, which is the base model. Um, I say base model, that is a an 11-inch screen, um, Wi-Fi, no uh, no um, cellular data, uh, 256 gigs of storage. Um, and interestingly, uh, because Samsung got a launch offer at the moment, it came with a keyboard as an option. And that came in at £900. Ooh. However, if you take the iPad and you add in the Apple Pencil, Samsung give you the S Pen 
in the box, you add in the Apple Magic Keyboard, um, you're at £1,047 for the iPad. So well above that starting price. Yeah. And effectively comparable, you know, the Samsung one coming in a little cheaper, but in the same ballpark. Yeah. There, there are some cheaper models, aren't there? Though? There are cheaper models. There's also worth checking if you have uh, access to a discount code. Samsung often have discount codes. And if you have blue light services, if you have NHS discounts, or if your company has signed up for something like Benefits Hub, you might be able to log into those and get a Samsung discount code anywhere between 10 and 20% off these devices. Mm, interesting. Um, so I know uh, via work we've got one of those. And my colleague was able to get a 10% discount off the Tab S9 coming in at then £800-£900, which was quite decent. Um, and they went for the 256 gig model. Um, the other things the Tabs have got, which the iPads don't, is the facility to add more storage with an SD card slot, which means that you can carry more data with you. Now, that's not there. Uh, most expensive tablet. They do go all the way up to a nearly 15-inch, a 14.6-inch tablet. Gosh. Uh, which starts at £1,200, but that gets you a 256-gig model out the box. The reviews are that it is lovely, but it's huge. Uh, and presumably the, the biggest market for those uh, very large tablets, and the same is going to be for uh, Apple's iPad Pro offerings, is is people creating content. So this is graphic designers and artists and and those sorts of people for whom a very large very high quality touchscreen is important and that's better than a pc it's better than a laptop to, because to, of the, the quality of the touchscreen and and rather to be honest, than as a big a big mobile phone and to be honest the, the screen on these is is lovely it's going to be better than most laptop screens and if you don't have a laptop already but you want something to carry videos with you maybe you're in the market for this sort of thing which is possibly going to come in at Slightly best, less than a high-end laptop. Anyway, cheaper in their range, they do have the Tab A-series. Uh, so the A-series in their phones and the J-series in their phones was their budget versions, their S-series being their uh, premium range. And the Tab A8 comes in at around 160 to £200, pounds, depending on which options you're going for. And uh, Those are 10-inch screens so fairly decent still and quite respectable um currently also discounted uh on samsung's website and amazon however uh the tab 8 being the older model is only going up to android 11 or, or 12 we're on android 13 at the moment so that is one thing to be aware of do check what version of the operating system if you're buying an android tablet that it can run because you don't want to be on a a version that doesn't run the applications you may want to run. And it's it's applications normally in the security space or that require better security that will stop running on older versions of operating system. And I say that and you might think, oh, banking, well, that's an obvious one. Yep. But even things like WhatsApp, WhatsApp requires the latest version or a fairly new version of uh, the operating system to actually ensure that its communication is secure. Same as a lot of things like Teams and Slack that you might use in the workspace. Of course, Samsung, not the alter only alternative to uh, to Apple when it comes to tablets. Google, uh, along with their Pixel phones, um, also have their Pixel range of tablets. Uh, and th these are slightly interestingly uh, positioned. So um, the, the new Pixel tablet is an 11-inch screen, is one of the larger ones. Um, and that, again, let's uh, note that word from, uh, from £599. 
for the, for the Pixel tablet. Again, it goes up by another £100 if you go for the larger storage size. So if you go for the 256 gig model, and those it's are coming the, in at about £700. Those are the only options because they give you a whole lot of things in the box. And one of the things they give you is an interesting dock. Mm. And it's a dock that's a slanted, angled, fabric-covered wedge that your uh, your tablet just magnetically attaches to that turns the tablet into effectively a smart screen, smart uh, display. Yeah, and what I did notice with with all of this stuff was that the Pixel tablet was very much geared as a home device. So it's not a, a, a shove it in your rucksack and take it away. Clearly, you can do that. But the, the use cases that they're uh, kind of targeting with all of their, their marketing here is the thing that you have at home for your home computing. And I can imagine this, especially as you say with the dock, it, you might have it on the sideboard in the lounge and you want to do some computing at home. You want to catch up on the news or catch up on your emails. You grab the tablet off of the dock, do what you want, then maybe set some videos playing, pop it back on the dock, listen to some music through the dock speakers. Um, and this becomes your home computing device. And, and I, I think that's a very interesting target. It's not something I've seen a lot from the other manufacturers. And because if you're in the Google ecosystem and you've taken some photos on your Google device, and it doesn't have to be a Pixel phone, it could be a Samsung or a Lenovo, it could be anyone else's phone, but your photos are in Google Photos, you can use the Pixel tablet with Google's very good photo editing tools mm to edit and manage your photos and then just drop your tablet on the dock and it becomes that wonderful digital photo frame to display those photos. Uh, very interesting use case. You know, you don't have to leave it on the dock. You can get nice cases for it that come with uh, ring stands so that you can prop it up uh, to view it while it's sitting on a surface. And, uh, yeah, some interesting thoughts on, on the way that they've changed the use ideas around a tablet. Let's jump in now to the Amazon Fire tablets. Now, these aren't the same as the Amazon Kindle, which is an e-reader. That's a very different thing, very much designed for reading books, magazines, that sort of thing. But Amazon's Fire tablets, they're, they're Android, but not quite the same as you might find on other Android devices. It is, Andro it is Amazon's own fork of Android, so they've taken the Android operating system, they've Amazonified it, uh, put their own app store into it, which is the important thing to remember. You might not find every app that you use via the Google Play Store on a, a, a conventional Android device in the Amazon Play uh, App Store. However, if you do use an application that's in both, the application will work in the same way all the data yes. that exists in one will work in the other. So, for example, if you had uh, your Google Docs and you opened them on a Fire tablet, they'll all still be there. Same with your Dropbox, uh, your Instagram, your you know, all of your stuff that you would create on your phone are going to exist in your Fire tablet. The interesting thing, though, is, of course, if you have Amazon Prime, you get free photo storage from them and it's slightly more comprehensive than Google's photo storage these days. Um, so worth considering that one. Um, well priced as well because they are um, generally shipping them with adverts. So they will throw adverts at you, obviously for solutions and products on Amazon. Uh, you can pay an extra, I think it's an extra 10 or 20 quid to have them without ads. Um, but generally anywhere from 100 to 200 pounds, depending on the size that you go for. What is quite cool is they do have kids editions, which are then locked down to be kid-friendly, only have kid-safe content on them. So you can actually 
start from a three-year-old with a tablet. Uh, and that's, yeah, the price point really is the interesting bit here because we've talked about some of the uh, other manufacturers starting at 400, 500, 600 pounds. 159 pound for the current generation Fire HD uh, 10 tablet with ads, as you say. But, you know, sub 200 pound for some current generation hardware is very attractive. Yeah, and as I said, kid ones about 115 odd pounds. Uh, the older generation starting at 80 pounds, the Fire HD 8. Very good. That's all we've got time for on today's Gadget Guide. Les Ray's here up to news at 7. We'll be back in a couple of weeks' time. The Gadget Guide on Cambridge 105 Radio.